Tonight, I want us to spend a little bit of time. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Ephesians chapter 6. I want us to look at a passage there that will be our jumping off place. I want to talk about God's grace tonight, and I want to um, just give a little bit of explanation. You, we can't fully grasp or comprehend the grace of God, but I think there are notions to two extremes that uh, the truth is somewhere in the middle, as it usually is. But if you were to ask me why... I like to preach about grace or why I believe in the grace of God or want to talk about the grace of God. It's because of verses like Ephesians 1 and verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. It's by the grace of God that God accepts us today in his son Jesus Christ. Without his grace, we would be unaccepted. But because of his grace and by his grace, we now stand in an acceptable position to our Heavenly Father. We have hope because of God's grace. Uh, we sing a song, um, Oh to Grace, Oh the Fount of Every Blessing. And that, that second or third verse says, Oh to Grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Um, let thy goodness like a fetter. Bind my wandering heart to thee. And uh, those are powerful words. I I think about those uh, from time to time. Just, you know, the grace of God is so great. Lord, let that bind me to you. Don't ever let me stray. Let it chain me to you. I know there are a lot of things in life that can distract us and and get us off the path and, and... People make those choices every day, and it's not beyond me to make those choices, or you. I remember an apostle said, Lord, I will never forsake you, but he did. And so I want to be reminded of this grace and how it binds me to the Lord and and how indebted I am uh, to the grace of God. I think as we discuss the topic of grace, I think sometimes, again, we have, uh, you know, polar opposites. There are those who say, once saved, always saved. Well, that's not what the Bible says. But there are also, say, those who basically have the position, if saved, barely saved. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we can forfeit our salvation, and the Bible teaches that if we are saved, it's an abundant entrance into heaven. You're not just going to get through by the skin of your teeth. Um, It's going to be an abundant entrance because of God's grace. And I know there are some who teach um, the possibility of apostasy, and that needs to be taught. We can fall from grace. But the possibility of apostasy is not the same thing as the probability of apostasy. And there are some who almost take that position. You know, all, all that maybe is ever said about grace by some people is that it's something that we can fall from. When maybe we need to be talking about what we can stand in. We can stand in God's grace and, and well, revel in God's grace because of the assurance that it gives us. And so tonight I want us just to make three points and the lesson will be yours. 
And all three points have to do with the nature of the anatomy of grace. And one of the things that I want us to understand is that, number one, grace uh, or salvation is not earned. It comes to us by grace. And, um, you, you know, there are people today that say that we haven't preached grace. And uh, I really believe that's an overstatement. I don't know very many people that have not preached grace, preachers that have not preached grace. Now, there may be some who have uh, emphasized things other than grace, uh, but I don't think they've failed uh, to preach grace. But I do think that maybe we should talk more about it from time to time. And I also think that those who maybe accuse us of not preaching enough on grace I also think that there's a possibility that maybe they don't even understand the biblical nature of grace. And that's what leads them to say that. You see, am I being gracious if I warn you of hell? Someone might hear a sermon on hell and say, wow, such a downer. But was that the intent? Don't you want to know if there really is a hell and if there is what it's like and how to avoid it if, if all that's the case? And if I tell you and teach you how to avoid hell and to obtain heaven, is that not a gracious message? If the road is out around the corner, and I know that, and I see you buzzing down the road, and I know the speed you're going, you're not going to have enough time to stop. What would a gracious thing be to warn you? Uh, to slow you down. And that's what the Lord is doing, and that's what we're trying to do when those who preach about obedience and um, warn us of disobedience, that's a message of grace, even though it may not sound like it to some. There are those who think that, that, that if a sermon is about grace, it has to have flowery speech and, and grace here, grace there, and, and grace just uh, sprinkled all through the lesson. But I, I found this, Brother Leroy Brownlow, a number of years ago, you may know of Brother Brownlow, he wrote the book, uh, Why I'm a Member of the Church of Christ, but uh, he, he's now been deceased for a number of years. But I remember hearing him preach a number of years ago, and he made this statement, and it has resonated with me. He said, you know what? In all the sermons of Jesus, in all the parables that he taught, in all the one-on-one conversations that Jesus had where he taught people about himself, in all the miracles that he performed and the instruction that went along with it, do you know that he never once used the word grace? Did you know that? Would we say that Jesus was a graceless preacher? I don't know anyone that would charge Jesus with being graceless. But he didn't have to use the word to preach the message of grace. Now there is one time in the Bible where Jesus used the word grace, but it was after he was gone, after he was crucified and ascended to heaven. When Paul had that vision in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, you remember he had that thorn in the flesh and he appealed to the Lord to, to remove that from him. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. That's the only time 
that the Bible records Jesus ever saying the word grace. But surely we wouldn't accuse Jesus of being, being graceless. We're saved by grace. Ephesians 2, verse 8, going through verse 10. For we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, for good works. We're, we're saved by grace. If anyone were to ever deny the, the, the existence of grace or the need for grace, they deny the heart of the gospel. That's why Jesus came in the first place. So, grace says this. You don't earn this. This is a gift. You've messed up. You have fallen short. You need bailed out. And I'm willing to do that for you. To to live under the, the notion that somehow I have to do good enough in order to get to heaven, that I have to say enough prayers or go to enough church services or or do enough benevolence or do enough good work and and say enough encouraging things to my family. And if I don't get that just right or if I don't, I'm, I'm lost. Man, can you imagine the oppression? Who's ever done enough? Have you done enough? Have you Have you talked to your neighbor about Jesus enough? Have you obeyed Jesus enough? Are there things that you have fallen short in that you could have done better, but you didn't do better? The whole idea of walking in the light, um, holding on to Jesus tenaciously, and sometimes we stumble and trip. Have you ever seen a parent have a child and they're walking, and, and but they have each other's hand, and as they walk, that child may stumble, and, and the parent for a little while drags. The, ch- the child doesn't fall. He, he gets drug along a little bit, you know, and he needs to get back up on his feet. But because he was holding on to his parent's hand, he stayed with them, and he didn't fall. That might be an image that helps us to understand the nature of God's grace. Oh, there is no hope and there is no comfort to the one who jerks away from Jesus and does his own thing. He's going to fall. But the one who holds to Jesus, clings to him, and in all his imperfections will not let go, that person has security. We don't have to work. There, there is that continual cleansing that we read about in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. Laboring under the impression that somehow we have to earn our salvation is not only oppressive to us, but man, it has to be insulting to God. What, you think you can work your way here? You think that you can pay for what I gave up? I sent my son to the cross for you. And you think by doing what? What are you going to do that makes that us even? You can't do anything to make yourself even with God. Listen, you just have to resign yourself that I am indebted. And I can never pay him back. And thank God for his grace. So, our salvation is not earned. It's by grace. 
The second thing that I want us to notice about grace is that grace obligates us. Um, grace isn't a license to sin. It's not something that we can, you know, pull one over on God, you know, play God uh, like, like uh, you know, he won't know any better. We can, we can mess with him and he won't know. Did you ever hear the story about the guy who was leaning off the Empire State Building trying to get a good look at, and he toppled over the edge? And as he's falling, what, a hundred and some stories, whatever it is, as he's falling, he gets to about the 40th story and somebody's looking out the window and sees him coming and they yell, are you saved? And that guy says, I still have time. You know, he's still got 40 floors to fall before he thinks that he can be saved. That's how some people deal with grace. Um, hey, there's always this back. I can always fall back on grace. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and then I'll just play God in the end and get right, and and you know, it'll just work out that way. God knows. He knows our hearts. We can't pull one over on Him. Grace obligates us to live for Him. In Romans 5 and verse 20, and going through the end of the chapter and coming on into chapter 6 and verse 1, there's that statement that's made that we're sinners. But you know what? Where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. And so Paul anticipates, oh wait, the more we sin, the more grace we get. Is that what you're saying, Paul? Well, yes, that's what I'm saying. But if you think I'm saying, shall we... Sin, so that grace may abound, God forbid. We, we can't continue to sin. Grace obligates us to live for Jesus, to obey his word. And so I want us to understand that grace isn't license. It, it's not, well, I get to do whatever I want, and, you know, if I die, well, there's always grace. Or if he comes back, you know, he'll be gracious. Grace says, listen, I'm doing this for you. Now you do this for me. I want you to live for me. In fact, in Titus 2, verses 11 through 10, it says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ourselves and and the world and ungodliness that we should live holy and righteous lives before God. There's... An obligation. It teaches us, it instructs us how to better live. In fact, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to one passage because I, I, from time to time, hear this notion. Somebody will be steeped in some sin or some particular thing that they want to do and then uh, they excuse it. You know, we're all sinners and nobody has everything right and so God will take care of this. I don't have to stop. I mean, there's God's grace, and and we need to talk about His grace, and His grace will cover this, that, and the other. Listen to an account in Matthew chapter 16 that I, I think is powerful. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus in verse 21, Matthew said, From that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised the third day. 
So Jesus says, okay, guys, now it's time. Let me tell you what I must do. I must go to Jerusalem. I must have these encounters with these religious leaders. And you know what? They're going to kill me. It's what has to be. Listen to the very next verse. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, I don't know how your translations translate that phrase, far be it from you, Lord. But if you have, you know, a Greek text or, or whatever, an interlinear or whatever, go look it up. That, that's a rather dynamic interpretation of what is actually said in the text. The text doesn't say, far be it from you, Lord. The text says, God, be merciful to you, Lord. What Peter is suggesting is, Jesus, you don't have to do this. Rely on God's mercy. Isn't that the very thing that people say today? What you don't have to, don't worry about, you know, getting everything right. There's, there's grace and mercy. If you're doing something and you can't just quite bring yourself to an end doing it, and, and you know it's not right, hey, listen, after all, there's mercy. Don't, don't fret. There's, there's grace. That's the very thing that Peter said to Jesus. Jesus said, I must do this. And Peter said, no, you don't. God, be merciful to you. And you know what Jesus said to that kind of reasoning? Get behind me, Satan. Peter was out of line. Jesus knew what he must do, and Peter tried to tell him, you don't have to do it. That there's always God's mercy, His grace. But he was dead wrong. Jesus knew he had to act. And that truth needs to be understood today. Hey, listen, grace doesn't allow us to do what we shouldn't be doing in the first place. We've got to obey. We can't rely on God's mercy to cover high-handed sins. We, we need to cling and obey Jesus. Grace obligates us. And then here's the third and final point tonight. Our indebtedness to grace uh, demands that we persevere. We can't give up. Once we start and, and when we realize what God has done with us, man, there's going to be adversity. There are going to be things that will want to dissuade you from following God. But listen, if you view it through the eyes of faith, you can not only endure the hardship, but you can come to embrace it. It's something that you can embrace and and through that even become closer and more Christ-like in your life. Paul said, you know, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And and those things will happen. Paul said of his own life, you know, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been left for dead, you know, all those things. And then he said, but you know what, it's just, It's just a small affliction. And what I'm going to get in the end makes it all worthwhile. 
he wasn't about to give up on grace. It's too good to let loose of. And I want us to understand that same truth. What do we have if we give up on God's grace? Does life get hard? Yeah, it does. But what if you ha- what do you have if you give up? I, I remember there was a-, a boy that was a class ahead of me in high school. He lived down the street from me, just one block from my house. And he was a senior in high school. And he decided to quit school the last semester of his senior year. He just didn't like school and decided to quit. I, was, I couldn't get my mind around that. I was like, well, are you kidding me? Just go and finish. It's just a semester more and you graduate. He wanted no part of it. I don't like it. I'm done with it. I quit. He was so close to finishing How many people do you suppose will stand in the day of judgment having known the truth and started and begun their walk with God and something grabs their attention, something sparkles, flashes that goes, ooh, that looks fun. And we go trailing off after that. And then we meet the Lord. What do we have? What do we gain? Nothing. Grace demands that we persevere. How can we walk away from God and His grace and not, well, be the object of God's wrath? Think of it from that perspective. Moses was said uh, to punish those who were evildoers. Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews tells us, but... In Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, of how much sorer punishment do you suppose those will be worthy who have trodden underfoot the sacrifice of the Son of God and who have counted His blood as a common thing and who have insulted the Spirit of His grace? You think you can do that and be okay with God? You think he's going to ignore your high-handed rebellion and your, your deliberate defiance? You, do you think that after he had, has shed his son's blood for you and you just treat it like a rug to wipe your dirty feet on and you treat that blood as no big deal, it's just blood and you insult the spirit of his grace You think he's going to be good with that? The writer of the book of Hebrews says he won't be. It says you'll have nothing left but a fearful expectation of judgment. Listen, we can't begin this walk as many of us, most of us have. And quit on them. What else is there to do if you quit? To whom will you go for help? Jesus once asked his disciples after saying some rather hard things, difficult things, and many left. Jesus went to his 12 and said, y'all going to leave too? And Peter spoke up on that occasion and said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Well, we, we wouldn't leave you. And that should be our dogged determination tonight. 
If you give up on God and His grace and you live for yourself, what's left? Uh, To whom will you go? Who will stand beside you in the day of judgment when the devil makes his accusations? Let's be proponents of grace. Let us rejoice in grace. Let us thank God for His grace. And may we never forget what was done. Let's realize that we can't work our way to heaven. Just get that notion out of your head. But don't think that the opposite of that is true, that we don't even have to try. Hold to Jesus tenaciously. Do not let go. And when you stumble, you won't fall. He'll have you. And as long as we're holding his hand and following and doing the best we can and trying to walk in harmony with his commandments, we have that continual cleansing to forgive us of those mistakes and shortcomings through our weaknesses and ignorance. God's promised to do that. That's the beauty of grace. And if you're here tonight and you're not yet a a child of God and haven't yet uh, enjoy, uh, not come to enjoy the, the blessings of His grace, then take advantage of that tonight. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's grace. Do you want to be saved from your sins? You deserve punishment. But God says, I'll give you life. If you haven't obeyed those commands, you need to do that tonight, accept His grace. And if you're a child of God already, have you sinned? Sure you have. And maybe some of you have sinned in a way that's public and others are aware of, and you say, you know what, I want to get right. I want to access God's grace. I know He'll forgive me if I turn from it. And I want you to know that I've changed, then we'll pray with you tonight. And even if it's not anything that's public, but it's something that's been weighing on you and you want your family to pray with you, that you'd be stronger, more faithful, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.